Necrotic Gnome are excited to announce the Old School Essentials Deluxe Box Sets Kickstarter, launching on February 23rd. This will be a great way for new people to get into Old School Essentials, and also a great chance for people who missed out on the original box back in 2019. In addition to fantastic box cover art by Errol Otis and Peter Mullen, there will be new cover art for all the books inside the boxes by David Hoskins. We also have loads of stretch goals lined up, including a set of mini-adventures and lots of content for your games. There will be some special extra rewards for people who back in the first 24 hours, so be sure to sign up to be notified on launch. You can find the link to the Kickstarter on taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In Chapter 63, Gyrios visits the injured Captain Slinghitch in his father's armory. In return for the comfort he has provided to his son, the senior Slinghitch gifts Gyrios with a personalized set of plate and mail armor. When he returns underground, the cleric finds Umura and Eredin packing their things. The two women have decided to split off on their own to undertake some as-of-yet undisclosed mission. Gyrios and Harl remain in Thangar. They need to confront the hot-headed Roland Daz Augerstone and see if they might persuade him to join forces with them. The conversation is a partial success. Rolandaz agrees to join them and even follow Harl's command, but on one condition. Harl must best him in single combat. The combat is arranged and announced by Thangar's new seneschal, who turns out to be Grumblebelly. While the fight slightly favors Rolandaz, it is Harl who snatches victory. At the end, the Thangarian lies on his back, bloodied and battered, and pledges his allegiance to Harl. Chapter 64, Part 1, Day 73, Pre-Dawn, Party Status, Harl, 23 of 34 hit points, Gyrios, 28 of 37, Spells Available, Gyrios has prayed for, Resist Fire, Hold Person, and Locate Object. Gyrios woke from one of the oddest dreams he could remember. In it, he was walking alone through the Kingswood. How he knew it was the Kingswood, and not some other forest, was one of those unfathomable peculiarities of dreaming. He just knew. Instead of being a place of fear and danger, it was a place of beauty, 
full of golden light that penetrated a lime-colored canopy of leaves. There was the smell of pine needles all around, and he could hear a babbling brook out of sight, but not far away. He was walking through these woods when an orange-breasted starling flew in a low arc from the branches above and lit upon a rotting log. It hopped first one way, and then another. Presently a goldfinch, bright yellow with black wings and forehead, fluttered down from the greenery above and joined the starling on the log. Gyrios of Camaranth, you look like a man pining for love, declared the starling. Gyrios stopped in his tracks and stared at the little bird. Despite the fact that he was dreaming, he had not expected this. Can you really speak? he asked, amazed. The starling looked at the goldfinch and the two birds tittered. Of course we can speak. We can speak and we can whistle and sing too. This time it was the goldfinch talking. Well, well. Since when have little birds been able to talk? Gyrio squatted down to be at a level with the two marvelous creatures. We've always been able to talk, piped the starling. You just haven't been listening. Well, I'm listening now, said Gyrios. Then put out your arm, said the goldfinch. Gyrios did so, and both birds immediately took off from the log and alighted on his forearm. Then Gyrios rose up and walked on through the woods with his new companions, talking about everything under the sun, as though they had known each other all their lives. Gyrios awoke with the bizarre dream still fresh in his mind. Wasting no time, he hurried to the surface where a spectacular sunrise greeted him. As soon as he saw the hazy golden disk of the sun, like a dot of molten metal in the sky, he knew that this morning would bring something special. For the next thirty minutes, he knelt and prayed, pressing his golden coin holy symbol to his forehead and kissing it when he was finished. By the time his prayers were complete, he had gained three new spells to add to his current store. They were Cure Light Wounds, Cure Serious Wounds, and Speak With Animals. He made straight for the broken section of wall where the thrush had been the day before. Sadly, the bird was not in sight. Dispirited, he began to walk away when he felt the familiar abrupt scratch on his neck. Ouch, he said, just as he had done the day before. He heard a flutter in his ear, and then there was the thrush, perched on a triangular shard of broken rock. Good morning, Master Thrush, began Gyrios. My apologies for not understanding you yesterday. It seems that I had not yet learned how to listen. I think I am ready now. The thrush hopped excitedly a few times and then piped back in reply. What's that? You wish to know what has happened here? The bird trilled back. Yes, I can tell you. Gyrios told the little bird about the red dragon and all that had happened leading up to and after the attack. When he was done, the thrush whistled a long note. Hmm, grave indeed, agreed Gyrios. But perhaps there is something you can do to help ensure that it never happens again. Birdsong was the reply. On the contrary, sometimes Mazigar's smallest creatures are exactly who are needed most. Will you hear my request? Good, then this is what I ask of you. Chapter 64, Part 2 Day 73, Afternoon, Party Status, Eridine, 17 of 18 hit points, Umura, 25 of 25, Spells Available, Umura has memorized, Bold Portal, Charm Person, Levitate, Knock, Lightning Bolt, and Water Breathing. 
The homey little inn grew smaller and smaller as they followed the road to the north towards Wilmington. It'd be nice to sleep in a bed for once, and although their feet were sore from walking, at least their backs were free from the familiar knots and aches that inevitably followed a night spent lying on the ground despite their bedrolls. The inn had a charmingly rustic name, the Shepherd's Rest, and it was situated just outside Sachoros. The imposing palisades of the city-state had not looked particularly inviting, and so Umora was relieved when Aradine spotted the little cottage-style inn just up the road past the fortified town that Raydel called home. Two more days on this road would see them in Wilmington. From there, they would purchase transportation by horse to Zaysha. Umora told her companion she thought they could make the trip from Wilmington to Chahal in five days, if they hurried. Aradine kept the hood of her cloak over their head as they walked. Once they reached the crossroads town, it would be important to keep a low profile. Neither woman had forgotten that somewhere out there was a man named Maynard Magari, who would like to see their heads on pikes. Have you ever been to Wilmington, Aradine? asked Umora. The young rogue nodded. Yes, once. It was six or seven months ago. She didn't elaborate, and Umura didn't pursue the subject. They camped by the roadside that night and continued walking all the next day. By nightfall of day 74, they had reached the township. Although it was three times the size of Burke, it wasn't really large enough to be called a city. A church to Sadal, a stone structure with a lofty bell tower, was situated in the center of town, with various businesses, offices, warehouses, and farmhouses clustered around it. The town had five roads, and in imitation of the great city of Silmoral, all of them led to the church, like spokes on a wheel. Umura had also been to Wilmington just once before. She had passed through on her way to Polbrook, a destination she had never reached because of the hated goblins. Since it was late when they arrived, they made straight for the same inn she had stayed at once before. Of course, with Umura's memory, there was no need to ask directions. She knew exactly how to get there. Other than the church and the township's famous bridge, the inn was the only structure made entirely of stone. It was as stately a place as could be found in Wilmington, and Umura found herself shocked by how much the room they rented now felt like an embarrassment of comfort. The last time she had been here, she had scoffed at its attempted luxury. Despite arriving late, they ordered the valet to prepare a hot bath, and each woman spent a half hour soaking in it before retiring for the night. The next morning, they both felt refreshed and invigorated. Aradine remarked that she felt like an entirely new person. In a sense, she was. This episode is a level-up episode for Aradine, who achieves level 6. I'll grab some dice and we'll get to rolling to see how she improves. Let's start with new hit points. This probably won't be a spectacular change. She just gets a d4, minning out at two points. The roll. I got a one. Okay, I'll boost that to a two, and her new maximum is 20. Next up are rolls for possible stat increases. A six on a d6 means the score goes up by one point. Strength. Another one. Ugh, I'm off to a rough start. Intelligence. A two. Wisdom. Oh, a six! Eridine has grown wiser. Not a surprise, considering everything she's seen over recent episodes. The walk out of Thangar and past its charred ruins alone must have been an eye-opener. Her eleven becomes a twelve. Dexterity. Well, this is the one that really matters. Wish me luck. A four is a no. Constitution. A five. No again. Charisma. A one. Well... Looks like this has been a modest level up for Aradine. As my mother says, it can't all be jam. 
As for her various rogues skills, they mostly go up by 5%, though her skill with traps and locks jumps by 10%. In the morning, Umura paid a rather hefty charge of four gold pieces for their room and asked for directions to the nearest stable. On the way there, they passed a number of guild houses, shops and stalls, as well as a tavern called the Fall Fallow Inn. It featured a painted signpost depicting the large stoneworks toll bridge that the township was known for. Seeing it made Eredin recall a very particular memory and she could not suppress a smile. Umura noticed and, misinterpreting it, said, Yes, it certainly feels strange to be back in society, doesn't it? It feels strange, but it feels good, too. They arrived at the stable shortly thereafter, and Umura negotiated passage to Zesha with the stable master. One of his drovers was leaving within the hour. She counted out the required payment of ten gold pieces. But then, thinking that Magari's agents could be watching for them, she counted out an extra five gold coins and pushed the lot into the man's hand telling him to forget ever having seen them. The stable master, for his part, was more than happy to take their money. By the time the church bell tolled morning prayer, Eredin and Umora were already on the road, eastbound to Zesha. I don't plan to make wandering encounter rolls while the women are in civilization. Not exactly, anyway. I think it's fair to say that Mongari would have eyes and ears in Burke, Brannon, and Wilmington too. I'll do away with the stumble upon rolls for now, but I will make a kind of encounter check whenever the PCs risk exposure in any of these three places. A one on a d6 means they are spotted by someone who will report to Mongari. The roll. A four. They are not noticed or remembered by anyone who poses a danger to them, and the stable master keeps his mouth shut. Do you need a palate cleanser after your favorite character from Tale of the Manticore just died? But still want an actual play podcast that takes itself a little bit seriously? Check out Lawful Great Adventures, a Pathfinder first edition podcast about four friends on a long journey home. With compelling lore drawn from the tarot, great character chemistry, a killer soundtrack, and a story full of conflict both personal and cosmic, Lawful Great Adventures will keep you immersed for hours of mid-fantasy listening. Check us out on Twitter at great underscore lawful or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Campaign 2 begins in January of 2022. Chapter 64, Part 3, Day 77, Evening, Party Status. Given several days of rest, both party members are at maximum hit points. Harl has 34, and Gyrios has 37. Spells available. Gyrios has prayed for, cure light wounds times two, resist fire, speak with animals, striking, and create water. If all was well, Gyrius told himself, the women would be halfway between Wilmington and Chahal by now. When they parted, Eredin had promised that she would return in three weeks. Well, it had only been six days since he had seen her, and he was already sick with concern. There were still people hunting for her, a fact he couldn't put out of his mind. Harl was not faring much better. 
he had experienced poor sleep for a week now, ever since they had come out of the mines. He knew he was having bad dreams, but trying to remember them when he got up each day was like trying to catch fog. The closer he came, the more they receded. Luckily, Grumblebelly was alert and very much in his element. He had spread several maps across the table in the back room of Lior's Lost Books and Curiosities. It was the only place inside the mountain to have a table large enough to accommodate all four of them. Harl and Gyrios scanned the maps as Grumblebelly talked and Roland Daz chewed his lip. Thanks to Gyrios, we know where she lives. Really, it does not come as such a surprise. I am not truly the one to thank, replied the cleric. He had already explained how he learned of the dragon's whereabouts through the network of birds with which he communicated each morning. I doubt you not. I'm just glad we can finally start making plans. Of course, I will not be able to accompany you myself this time, so I shall lend you my understudy. Previous Brindle is an accomplished cartographer and will make a worthy scout. He will lead you as far as here. Grumblebelly jabbed a fat finger onto the map in front of Harl. This is that old supply depot we passed on our last trip. You can use it as a home base. Best if we get a move on, griped Roland Daz. Harl shot him a look, and he went back to brooding. You're looking at four or five days to reach it. Another two will bring you here. Now Grumblebelly drew his finger in a straight line to the northeast of the supply depot, to where the map showed the base of the cloud spur. The illustration of the mountain seemed almost comically large compared to the others around it, but those who had seen the mountain up close had no doubt the dwarf's maps were to scale. Of course, Frivius will not be going any further. He'll wait for five days at the supply depot before heading back. Please take care of him, especially when traveling through the Hobgoblin's territory. He is taking a great risk to play his part in this endeavor. I almost wish he had not volunteered. We'll protect him, Grum. <laughs> Perhaps I should start calling you by your real name, Seneschal Bayoun. Oh. The Seneschal replied warmly. I don't mind so much. What do we know of the Egoden? asked Gyrios. Other than that there's a dragon in it? Less than I would like, but more than you might expect. Varen Elamir left us with a good stock of maps and notes. They are incomplete, but we can get a decent sense of the place. Grumblebelly reached for another map and drew it closer. Alright, now this is kind of a cross-section of the Egogen. The only actual road zigzags up the southeast side of the mountain, but you won't be taking it. Nerenumanax would see us approaching from a mile away, Roland Daz said, nodding. Exactly. So you will enter from here. He tapped the western edge of this new map at a place where the Fire River appeared to exit the mountain. As you can see, the river runs through the interior of the mountain for much of its course. The Aegogenites harvested the river's power and used it to power their works of engineering. See this spot? This is the forge. The Aegogen had massive smelting facilities and they are all powered and cooled by the Fire River. What's this level? Gyrios was pointing at the space above the forge. That's the mushroom field. Here are the mines. Over here are the living and working quarters, and finally, at the top, whatever remains of the actual citadel. From what I know of Durivar, it more closely resembles the Egojin than Thangar does, with its single large hold at the mountain's summit. I see. And what about this? What does this design indicate? Ah, this is a common feature on dwarven maps to denote the slope of a passageway. Do you see? Ah yes, I think I understand now. These numbers correspond to this symbol here and this symbol over here, is that correct? Chapter 64, Part 4, Day 81, Afternoon. Party Status, Eridine, 
20 of 20 hit points. Umura, 25 of 25. Spells available. Umura has memorized. Hold portal, charm person, levitate, knock, lightning bolt, and water breathing. Umora traced a rectangle on the tabletop with her finger. Then, with the imaginary map complete, she continued talking. Probably about 30 by 60 feet, with the only doors right here. These doors are magically sealed and will only open for a member of my family, so obviously I'll have to be there, but I'll leave the thievery to you. Still, I think you and I have come up with a good story, and I certainly look the part now. Earlier that day, she and Aradine had visited a tailor's shop and purchased an outfit of very special significance in Zaysha for the lofty price of 50 gold pieces. Umora now wore a slim-fitting dress of white lined with silver. As it was sleeveless and featured a plunging neckline, it revealed quite a lot of skin. That was the point. The dress was cut to show all of the wearer's numerous tattoos. This dress in particular had been fitted in such a way that every hemline framed one of the mystical designs. What I still haven't worked out is what to do after we've gotten inside. It is almost certain that one of my mother's nasty little pets will be watching. The mortuary is their favorite place in the whole estate. They'll see us right away, and mother can see everything they see. Eridine looked at the tabletop, envisioning the imaginary map, and nodding slowly. Breadbag, she said enigmatically. Come again? asked Dumora. Did you just say breadbag? Eridine just continued nodding with a wry smile forming on her lips. Dramatis Personae, Eridine, seven months ago. Oh, I do love rainy days, said Maggie Swin, looking up at the sky. There was a certain smell and coolness to the air. Eridine could feel it coming too. What's to love about a rainy day? Asked Eridine, smiling fondly at her man. Oh, a great many things, he replied. Something twinkled in his eye. The rain makes the flowers grow, teased Swin. It makes the rivers... In gorge, he lifted a clenched fist to illustrate. Eridine laughed and allowed him to stretch out the prelude. It washes away all our past sins, of course. Oh, and there's one other thing I love about the rain. What was it? Highgarden, do you remember? The three of them were walking down a street in Wilmington. They had been hiding out in the crossroads town by the lake for a week, waiting for the heat in Brannon to cool down after having committed a particularly exciting robbery. Earlier that day, Matchy had declared that it was time to go back, but when the clouds began to roll in, he changed his tune and paid for another night at the cheap inn where they had holed up. Presently, they were walking towards a milliner's shop. Hygarin laughed. Ha <laughs> breadbag, was all he said. Swin tapped the side of his nose. Ah, oh, yes, that's right. I knew there was something I'd forgotten. They purchased two large sacks of barley flour for a total of 20 copper pieces. Each bag held as much as a man could carry slung over one shoulder. Swin tucked the bill of sale, a twice-notched wooden peg stained with blue dye, into his pocket before hefting his bag of flour. Mm, heavy, Swin protested under the weight. We shall have to lighten our load. To Eridine's surprise, they headed back to their room at the inn. Neither Swin nor Highgarn was willing to explain themselves along the way. They were enjoying her perplexity. You are so adorable when you look confused, said Swin, and with that he gently upended one of the flower bags under the mattress of their bed. He smoothed the flower flat and replaced the mattress before holding the sack up to her as if fitting her for a dress. 
He pinched one eye shut and said, Good, this should do just fine. By the time nightfall came, the rain had started. Swin waited until close to midnight before he set off with Hygar and by his side. Each of the men bore a heavy sack over their shoulder. Their destination was a well-known upscale tavern called the Fall Fellow Inn. It featured a painted signpost depicting a large stoneworks toll bridge spanning the letters FF. The lights were just going off inside as they approached the door. Gods, we've just closed, came a muffled voice from within. A heavy latch and the sliding of an iron bolt could be heard as the door opened and its frame was filled by the burly innkeeper. What's the matter? Can't you hear? We are closed. Come back tomorrow. Please, said Swin. You m must help us. The innkeeper's brow lowered in suspicion. What is this? P please, please, repeated Swin. My associate and I are traders. We are to deliver a shipment of barley flour to the bakers tomorrow, but our cart has broken down. The innkeeper crossed his arms, but did not close the door. Go on, he said. We, we were trying to carry the flour to the warehouse, but we'll never make it before the whole shipment is ruined by the rain. Look, we've already lost 10%. These sacks will be soaked through before we're halfway there. You must help us. What would you have me do about it? Please, if, if you could let us store the flour here right here in your front hall. We can pick it up at first light tomorrow and be on our way. Nothing else is open around here. Please. The innkeeper stood and thought about it. Why should I help you? We'll pay you for the storage. F Fifteen coppers, please. Every minute we stand here, more of our profits turn to paste. The innkeeper considered a moment. Hmm. Twenty-five. Swin balked. What? That's, that's the whole... All right, all right, fine. It's better than losing the business. Please stand aside, sir, and let me save what I can. The innkeeper did so and allowed the two men to deposit the sacks on his hallway floor. Swin produced the wooden peg that acted as a bill of sale and presented it to the innkeeper. So you know the flower is not ill-gotten, he explained. Ugh, no need, said the innkeeper, waving it away. I care not. Payment up front, though. Yes, of, of course, stammered Swin, fishing the required coins from his purse and handing them over. The innkeeper counted them out leisurely. 23, 24, <laughs> 25, yes, that's good. Now be gone, I'll be back at first light. But if you are a minute late, I'll be keeping a flower too. Yes, good sir, thank you, good sir, Swin mewled in his most obsequious tone. We will fix our cart tonight and be back on the morrow. Very well, drawled the innkeeper. Off you go. Until tomorrow then, sir. Sadal bless you. Fine, fine, goodbye. The innkeeper ushered the two men out and shut the door. Ten minutes later, with his closing routines complete, he left for the night by the same door and locked it behind him. No sooner had the lock clicked shut than one of the sacks on the floor bulged and toppled over. Little sounds of effort could be heard as something wrestled with the aperture from within. When it opened, a little ghost emerged, or it looked like a ghost. Eridine was covered from head to toe in flour. Her hair was dusty white, as were her skin, clothes, and boots. She picked up the empty sack and quietly padded through the main seating area of the tavern, past the bar and into the back area. She found the office door locked, but it was a basic lock, and she had it open in seconds. Once inside, she located the strong box. It too was locked, but Eridine noticed a crack that ran the length of the desk and, feeling underneath, found the key wedged into it. She briefly considered trying to pick the lock, just for the fun of it, but decided against it, realizing the need to be quick. 
She opened the box and emptied its contents, mostly copper and silver coins, but some gold too, into the empty flower sack. Once back at the front door, she slid the bolt across as quietly as she could and, opening the door a crack, slipped out into the wet night, shedding her ghostly appearance and becoming Eridine once again as the rain pelted her and washed away the flower. Later, when she was back at their room and they had finished counting their take, Eridine grinned up at Hygar and Swin and asked, I must know, why do you call it a bread bag when there isn't any bread? <laughs> Hygarin laughed and leaned back, indicating that Machi should explain. Simple enough, my love. You see, the first time Hygarin and I ever pulled this con, oh, it must have been, what, five years ago? Anyway, the first time we tried it, we used bags of bread instead of flour. Of course, the bags were too light and they didn't look the same when we put our diminutive friend inside. Remember little Sigmund, Hygarn? He's dead now, my pet. Anyway, not only did it look wrong, but the bread got completely ruined by the rain within moments. Our deception was revealed before it even began, and we had to run for our lives. <laughs> well, we have refined the game since then, but we never lost the name. It reminds us of our humble beginnings. Thanks for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you like what you've heard and you want to support the show, there are now several ways to do so. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. I have a rules ultralight RPG called One Shot in the Dark available for the price of a cup of coffee on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks to everyone who's done any of these things. I'd like to read a review from YouTube today. This one was posted by GC. GC writes, I'm really enjoying this more and more. The story keeps you very interested, and as someone who's played since the Redbox Basic in 83, it really does capture the 80s D&D feel. Keep up the good work. That's music to my ears, GC. I try to always keep that basic box set in mind when I'm playing the game and making the script. That's where I started too, and I have boundless love for that edition, despite its many flaws. So happy this is bringing back some good memories for you, too. Well, I have loads of voice talent to acknowledge today. Returning to the show, playing Grumble Belly and Roland Daz, respectively, are James Schrall of the podcast Subclass Act and Jared Grimm. Find him on Twitter at CrazyDrunkenElf. We have a new cast member to introduce as well. Chad Lynch plays the Innkeeper. Chad is an author on the DM's Guild who successfully kickstarted the adventure Rescue at Griffin Crag Pass. Find it on DriveThruRPG. For listeners who'd like to get in touch, you can contact me on Twitter at ManticoreTale or on Instagram at Tale of the Manticore Podcast. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. I also keep a blog at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com where I post art, character sheets, maps, and other bits and pieces. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Are you tired of tracking your encumbrance, counting your torches, and having to roll reactions, and actually talking to creatures in the dungeon rather than just killing them? Me neither. Come on over to Cleric Square Ringmail blog site, you'll find maps and adventures free to download for your OSR game. 
reviews and actual play podcasts, channels, and streams to help expand your gaming horizons, and occasional rants, raves, and rules to help explain and expand your D&D experience. Over on the podcast, simulcast on YouTube with the occasional actual play of my own, you'll find interactive debate about OSR and RPG topics, unboxing reviews of gaming products, and the occasional interjection of a pair of toddlers. I'm Clearing Sweater Ringman, and I endorse this message. Delve on, listeners. Delve on.